say it's been good to be in church, couldn't we? Amen. Hard to sow seed in a high wind. Amen. Amen. But I like that. Amen. Amen. Appreciate people who, who want to worship the Lord. Amen. Well, y'all have a good church here. And a good spirit. And atmosphere. And thank the Lord for that. Amen. And I've uh, just met Brother... Well, I met Brother uh, Brandon... A long time ago, and uh, he, were, he was at Brother Tabs at a meeting I was preaching at in uh, Florida, Fort Walton Beach. And uh, but anyway, and our finally our paths cross, and uh, what a blessing it is to be here. Amen. And thank you, Brother Brandon, for. Amen. Uh, thank you for uh, the privilege to be here, Amen. and the wonderful accommodations. We're staying at the Carlton Inn, and man, it's, it's just a really nice, clean, comfortable place. We appreciate it. Amen. Ladies, thank you for the wonderful meal Amen. tonight and the food yesterday. I understand how much work goes into anything in the church, and we went over to Miss Holly's last night and ate uh, again. Amen. I understand what it takes to, we understand what it takes to do things like that, but uh, goodness, thank you all for everything you've done for us while we're here, and uh, for having a servant's heart. Amen. Amen. I love Brother Matt and Miss Holly. Goodness, I've known them since they were, well, before they were married. I remember when uh, Matt liked um, one of the Permander girls. <laughs> Aren't you glad you didn't fool with that, buddy? <laughs> I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but uh, it's true, isn't it? I remember the first time you kissed her was when you were married on the, at the marriage altar. That's the first time he ever kissed his wife. I didn't kiss my wife till I married her because she wasn't my wife till I married her. <laughs> we were raised different than you, buddy. Amen. My wife and I met on a, we were on a school bus. I was in the ninth grade. She was in the eighth grade. We had been to a choral. We were in the choir. And the uh, reason I was in the choir, I wasn't a nerd. I just, um, it was an easy grade. It was an easy grade. Listen, I was so smart, I went through all the way through high school and never opened a book and passed. Just think of what I could have done if I'd have studied and opened a book. I don't recommend that. But we met in junior high and and we went on to I went on to high school and she stayed behind and then she joined me, you know, and high, joined us in high school in the tenth grade and we we dated. I mean, I'd just pull up in the yard, she'd come out, get in my car, we'd leave, go on a date. Uh, our parents back then, they needed their heads examined, literally. And anyway, she was a 10th grader, we dated, and we dated for a while, and then uh, we moved to the 11th and 12th grade, and then uh, I got into the, she's afraid I'm going to say something to embarrass her, I'm not going to. <laughs> But anyway, um, we, when, we, when I got into high school, I got into things she didn't care about. And uh, she was a popular girl, cheerleader and all that, you know. And I was a bum <laughs> by the 12th grade. And we got disconnected. And she said, I just wasn't, I'm just not in, she just wasn't interested in the kind of things I was doing and so on. So we got disconnected for uh, a couple of years. When I got saved, I called her, and I said, you're not going to believe what happened to me. And uh, she was a primitive Baptist. She didn't really know what that meant. She knew, she, she knew it was good for me. And uh, anyway, 
she started having, you know, something to do with me again. Make a long story short, here we are 51 years later, Amen. still married. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord that you allowed her to come with me here. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. While you're turning, this um, pastor friend of mine, he said, uh, someone asked my wife, said, how have you all stayed married uh, for 29 years? And the pastor said, well, I thought, they asked my wife. And he, saw, he said, I thought she was going to say, well, we're madly in love. We love each other and, and just, you know, he's my sweetheart. We're best friends. He said, no, she didn't say any of that. She just says, because we don't believe in divorce. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, to, to purge out the old leaven, look at verse 1. And let's see what that has to do with purging, a purging. It says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. So this is a pretty egregious sin. Yes. That one should have his father's wife. That would be incest. And you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. You see that? The church was tolerant. Of this sin. Look at verse 5. It says, To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So, this person evidently was a believer. He's going to lose his physical life, but his spirit was going to be saved. You see that? That's his security. So, he would lose his life. Let me say to you, Christian, tonight, there is a sin unto death. That's what the Bible says. You can be cut off. You can lose your life. Uh, I've known Christians who died before their time. They did not live a full life. I've seen it. And it's, it's not a pleasant thing to think about. But he says, your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. The, the leaven could spread through the whole lump. In other words, this sin of the church could have a leavening influence on the whole body. You see that? And so everyone here, I'm sure you know this, uh, leaven is an emblem and a type of sin. And uh, uh, in the Passover, which is mentioned here in the text I read in verse 7, uh, in the Passover, leaven was excluded from their houses and from the bread that they ate in the days of unleavened bread preceding the Passover. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12 quickly, if you will. Exodus chapter 12, and look with me in verse 15. And When you get there, say amen, so I'll know most of you get there. We'll, I want to wait on you a second. All right, you there? All right, Exodus 12, 15. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first days ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For, for whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh day, look how serious this was. That soul shall be cut off from Israel. And so the church is supposed to, is supposed to be a new lump, which indicates an absence of wickedness in the church Amen. as was tolerated in the church at Corinth. And if you, if you permit that to remain in the church without standing against it and removing it, it could have a leavening influence on the whole body. Amen. Never underestimate the importance of one person in his relationship with God in the church. Amen. 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 And so the church is supposed to be a new lump indicating an absence of malice and wickedness. Now come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 
And look with me in verse 8. Therefore, it says, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So this leaven of fornication that was among the Corinthian believers, it needed to be purged. It needed to be removed from the church. Can I say this right quick? And bear with me here now. Let me load my wagon. We'll pull out here in a minute. But listen to me tonight. The church today has no stomach for church discipline. They don't have it. No, sir. I have lost church members over the fact that we had to discipline someone else in the church. They just couldn't stomach it. But it has to be done sometimes. Look at verse 9, 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. See, that's enough. Sin unto death. Then must ye needs go out of the world. You see that? And then we read in verse 11, But now I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother or be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, these are egregious sins. And you're not supposed to tolerate and fellowship with people who do these such things. And especially if they're a member of your church, you should deal with it. It needs to be removed. Christians have no stomach for that. The Bible says with such and one, no, not to eat. Listen, the church should be willing to purge itself from leaven in its members who violate the scriptures in these sins that are of a more egregious nature and bring a bad testimony on Amen. the local church and its ministry. Amen. Of course, the church at Corinth, what was going on in their church was not even going among the lost Gentiles in the city of Corinth. It was a bad situation. Now the reason for these admonitions is found in verse 7. Look at it. This is where we get our message tonight. Lord be in our heaven. Verse 7. For. Here, you read that word for. This is the purpose for these admonitions. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now. As, the, as these uh, Israelites observe their protection and deliverance with unleavened bread, we are to remember the sacrifice of our Passover, who is Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the reason in the Lord's Memorial Supper, the Lord's Supper with the two elements of bread and wine, the bread is what? The bread is what? Unleavened. And it's a picture of his body, an absence of sin. The same thing in the Jewish Passover. And uh, you and I tonight, we're to remember our Passover in a manner worthy of our profession. Remember the Lord said, before you eat this bread, drink this cup, let a man examine himself. A serious matter. And a man who will not examine himself in view of the sacrifice of the Lord, the Bible says you eat and drink that, you could eat and drink damnation. And Paul the Apostle says, for this cause many are sick, and we are weak and sick, sickly among you, and many sleep. You, you know the passage. I might have paraphrased it a little there, but you know what I'm talking about. Sickness, physical infirmity, be because you took the body and blood of the Lord unworthily. It's a time of self-reflection and repentance. Amen. 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 The Jews abstained from all leaven in the time of the Exodus and the Passover. We're, listen, it's an emblem and a picture of sin and we are to purge out all things that are contrary to God. It's because of sin to this end our Lord was sacrificed for us. Our Lord died for sinners, Amen. for their sins. We shouldn't countenance what demanded the death of the Son of God. Yeah. We shouldn't stand for it. Purge it out. Amen. Get rid of those things that drove the nails. Get rid of it. Amen. 
We're supposed to be unleavened, a new lump, because our Lord was sacrificed for our sins. And we should not countenance sin that required his death. And the Passover is a type of Christ, and the unleavened bread is a type of God's people in their purity of life. And I'm sure you can see that figure and that picture in these passages. Now, it says Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. First of all, when we, th when we mention Passover, what is the first thing you think of? What's the first thing you think of? Blood of the Lamb, right? So our Lord Jesus, in John 1.29, which you're very familiar with, as he was walking along the banks of the Jordan River and John was in the water baptizing and seeing the Lord walk and approaching that scene, he looked up from those waters and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He knew who he was. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Listen to me tonight. Our Lord is God's lamb for us in regard to his provision for us. He's God's provided lamb. Amen. Amen. He is our Passover in regard to our redemption. He is God's lamb in his designation, and he is our Passover in regards to, to our acceptation. We have accepted him. He is our Passover. God provided the lamb, and we accept him as our Passover. Christ is our Passover. Now, in relation to the Passover mentioned in verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 5, our Lord Jesus is the Passover lamb. Are y'all listening to me tonight? Amen. I mentioned, I think, some of this maybe last night in a conversation I was having with the preachers. But the Passover lamb, a lamb, it more fully expresses the nature of our Lord in his sufferings than any other animal that was in the sacrificial system. Now, you do, do y'all remember if a ruler sinned, if a ruler sinned, he had to bring a certain type of animal. Do you, do you all remember what that was? You've heard this. Uh, if a priest sinned, or someone of, of a high position, or a rich man, or someone who was affluent, if he sinned, he had to bring a more expensive sacrifice based upon whatever his position was. A bullock is a very expensive sacrifice. I mean, you go out here today and buy you a, you know, a 16, 70, 1800 pound bull, bullock, and see what you pay for it. Yep. Amen. It's expensive. Yep. Amen. A goat, a male goat, a ram was expensive. These were expensive animals. And um, our Lord, he was a lamb. The poor people had uh, pigeons, turtle doves. But the higher your elevation in that society and culture, the more expensive your sacrifice. The Lord is never called a goat or a bullock in the Bible. Never. He's the lamb. Amen. You know, when you go to Exodus chapter 12 and read about the qualifications of a Passover animal, the Lord said... It shall be a lamb, a firstling of the flock, a male without blemish. And he said, ye shall take it from, from among the sheep or from among the goats. A goat is a kid. The Lord's never called a kid. He's called a lamb. Well, why did God say they could take it from among the kid or from among the goats? Uh, this is what I think about that. This is my opinion, the typology of it. Number one, the Lord rose from among the sheep. That's the Jewish nation. Read the prophets. And he was also taken from among men of whom the goats are typical. What are the goats in Matthew 25? The lost nations at the end of the tribulation that did not inherit the kingdom. They're what? Goats. Lost people. 
So he's taken from among men. But he arises out of the nation of Israel, the Lamb, our Passover. The Lamb more fully expresses the nature of his sufferings than any other animal. Now, the goat or the bullock would typify our Lord in his value, in his dignity. But the Lamb portrays him in the silence of his suffering. The Lamb expresses his innocence. Amen. Now, I know our Lord in Revelation chapter 5 is called the Lion out of the tribe of Judah. But that expresses his victory at his second coming and not his sacrifice. When it comes to his sacrificial life, he is the Lamb of God, not a goat, not a bullock, a lamb. Now, lamb has to be under 12 months old to be a lamb. If it's older than 12 months, it begins to develop its horns. It's a ram. Y'all remember what Abraham said about God's provision on Mount Moriah. Y'all remember that? God will provide himself a what? A lamb. That's when Isaac asked where the sacrifice was. And as he raised the knife, God called called to him out of heaven, stopped him. And he turned and looked, and behold, a what? A ram was caught in the bush. Wasn't a lamb, my friends, a ram. Amen. That's why the Lord said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it was glad. And God had already told him, I'm going to give you a seed. A seed. And Galatians says, not many, but one seed. And he says, that seed was Christ. You know all that's a different message. But the lion that expresses his victory. But my friend, when it comes to his sufferings, the figures of him in the Levitical sacrifices, my friend, they may typify him in some way, but in his innocence and the meekness of his nature and in the silence of his suffering, there's no other animal that will typify him but the innocent lamb. That's it. Now, all of those sacrifices showed them as well as us that death and the shedding of blood, that's the only thing that would expiate sin. That's it. The blood of those animals could not take away sin as noted in Hebrews, but they typified our Lord whose blood would take away the sins of the world. Amen? Amen. Now, I I could say a lot, but I'm going to say this briefly and I'll get back to the Lamb. There was great care in obeying God's instructions concerning the Passover. That lamb was to be roasted with fire after its blood was caught in a basin. And they took the hyssop and they struck the doorpost and the lintel. And the lamb's flesh was, was roasted with fire and they ate the lamb's flesh and the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And none of it was, none of it was to be left till the morning. And that blood on the door is what the Lord said about it in Exodus 12, 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. Amen. Amen. They could see the blood. And the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. He said, the blood shall be to you a token. Now, don't you think God knew what houses had the blood? We didn't even have to look. The blood was a token for them. That's what it says, for you. Amen. This token was a sign that God would keep his promise. Uh, you remember Noah's rainbow was said to be a token. But anyway, this service had to be done by faith. Hebrews eleven twenty eight says, Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. They believe what God said and they acted upon it by faith. And they sacrificed this lamb. And God said, this shall be a perpetual service in all your generations. The Jew to this day still has a Passover service. Have you ever seen Brother Samuel Freed preach on the Passover service? I had him do that in our church. He uses the modern Jewish Passover. But I'm telling you, Brother Blake, 
there are so many types, even in the modern Jewish Passover of Christ. Man, I tell you, he was showing us that pierced bread, that matzah bread that was pierced, the stripes on it. I'll tell you, man, he preached that Bible. I'll tell you, the time he got to the end of it, I was about to come apart, man, I'm telling you. Oh, me. I'm telling you, friend, they believed what God said and they did it. They sacrificed the lamb. Now, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll say before I read this passage of Scripture, before, before, before I read it, I'll say this. A lamb is a meek creature. Are y'all? Yes. You're, you're familiar with that. A lamb is a meek creature. I've known, of, uh, I've known people who have, who have slaughtered lambs, and uh, the lamb never opens its mouth. It doesn't cry. I've seen them... I've seen people cut the throat of a goat to bleed it out before they barbecue it and dress it and barbecue it. Barbecue the whole goat. And that thing will cry and cry and bleed and cry. But a lamb will never open its mouth. It suffers in silence. A lamb is a herbivore. That's an animal who eats plants. It's not... It's not a carnivore, it's not carnivorous. It does not eat the flesh of other animals or whatever. It's a herbivore. It's a meat creature, it hurts no one. It's not a devouring creature. When it's led to the slaughter, it does not cry. Look here in verse 1. Now I, Paul, my Paul, now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am based among you, but being absent am bold toward you. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. Meekness. Do you know what meekness is? Meekness is power under control. That's someone, that's someone who has power, but yet they control it. Let me ask you a question. Was our Lord powerless? Could he have prevented his sufferings? Yes, he could. He didn't need 12 legions of angels, but he said, if I called them, they'd come. He didn't really need them. Amen. Let me read you a passage. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. There's the, the lamb suffering in silence. He opened not his mouth. How many of us tonight are willing to suffer anything in silence? Well, the pastor and I, I'm ashamed to admit it, we were talking before church about some problems that I encountered in my own life that he knew about. And really, I shouldn't even, we shouldn't, I shouldn't even mention them. And I didn't mention them because I hold a grudge and I'm embittered. I didn't mention, no, I did not, no, sir, my friend. Yet he opened not his mouth. How many of us are willing to suffer in silence? How many young preachers here tonight? Let me see your hand. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you something, young men, and someday you may be. Someday God may call some of you. Let me tell you something, young men. You listening to me? If you cannot bear the reproach of being blamed for something that you did not do, do not get into the ministry. And if you can't bear it without keeping your mouth shut, don't get in the ministry. That's part of the reproach of it. Amen. Amen. There there were two young men came to my house. They had a problem with each other. They wanted to counsel with a pastor. They sat down. They They wanted to make things right with each other in the same church. So they come to my house. My wife says, you better record that conversation. I said, no need to, they don't have a problem with me. they got a problem with each other. There's no need to record their conversation. She said, you better record that conversation. I didn't do it. She said, they'll blame you. And we sat there, 
and they talked about their problems. And one of the guys, as far as he was concerned, everything was settled. But one of the guys, he was, he was, he was, he was ingenuous. He was not serious about it. He acted like it was settled. But he went out and he started talking. And guess what he did? Guess, guess what he did? He blamed me for the problem. And I didn't have anything to do with it. Absolutely nothing. You say, what'd you do? Nothing. Nothing. Amen. Just take it. You ought rather to take it. Let me ask you a question. Could you take anything? Somebody rubs you a little wrong in the church, can you take it? You know how many bitter people went out the doors of a church because somebody said something, somebody did something, some little silly something that drove them away from church and drove them away from God. And they're gone. They couldn't suffer anything. Now they'll suffer fools gladly. Amen. He opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a, as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7 says her shears. Acts 8 says his shears. This uses female, Acts uses the male. It doesn't matter. Either way, the male or the female sheep being shorn is not a very in, enjoyable process for an animal. How would you like to lose all of your fur? It's a picture of our Lord's continual suffering. The shearing of a sheep, the slaughter of a lamb without its mouth being opened. It's a picture of our Lord and His meekness and His humility and His gentleness. The Son of God was counted the vilest of men. He was made lower than the angels. He became, the Bible says, like a worm of the earth in Psalm 22. The creator to be crucified by his creatures. To suffer it in silence is evidence of a meekness that's never been known before. Our Lord was a silent lamb in his sufferings. Look at Mark 14, 65. Mark chapter 14, 65. I'm going to start reading it. You prove it because i got to hurry here. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. Think about this. The soldiers spit in his face and they mocked him. They spit in the Lord's face and mocked him. Got that? Now let's go to Isaiah 50, verse 6. And this is the prophecy concerning Mark 14, 65. Verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. So when the soldier spit in his face, you know what he did? He didn't do this. He didn't hide his face. He stood there, my friend, and held him with his eyes as they spit in his face. And not one word from his mouth. I hid not my face in shame and spitting. Son, if I spit in your face, you'd probably jump up from there and grab me, and we might be walking around in these floors for a few minutes till you whoop me, because I know you can. I'm an old man. Amen. I wouldn't dare do that to you. I wouldn't dare do that to you, son. But they they spit in his face. Could you imagine that, though? I mean, if I just walked down there, one of you guys just spit in your face. Would you like that? Mike, are y'all listening? 
that's one of the most contemptuous things you could do toward anyone, to spit in their face. And he said, I gave my back to the smiters. I gave my back. That's the Roman cat of nine tails, the scourge. He gave his back to the smiters. He gave it to them. He gave it to them. Look at Psalm 129, verse 3 in your Bible. Psalm 129, verse 3. The Bible says, The plowers plowed upon my back. I gave my back to the smiters. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. That's the beating he took at the hands of the Roman centurion. This gentleman in the Middle Ages, was, he was painting pictures of the sufferings of Christ. And he painted a picture of the crucifixion. He painted a picture of the Lord carrying his cross. He painted a picture of the scourge. He painted a picture of the Roman soldier with his, the centurion with his, the cat of nine tails drawn back. And the Lord's hands above tied and his back given to the smiters. He painted those pictures to depict the sufferings of Christ. And that night he went to bed and, and he had a dream. And he said, this Roman soldier was beating the Lord's back. And he said, I ran in my dream. And I grabbed his arm and I said, stop, stop, don't do that. And he said, he turned and looked at me. And he said, when he looked at me, it was me. It was me. Those were my stripes. He gave his back to the smiters. He let them spit in his face. And not one word from his lips. Not one moment of resistance. Not one. He held his peace. He allowed them to plow those long furrows on his back. And he did not hide his face from those indignities. 1 Peter 2.23 says, Who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Are you listening to me? My friend, he did not threaten them. He suffered all of these indignities, this horrible scourge, all of the, he did not threaten. He suffered under the greatest violence of their rage against him. He suffered all of their rage. He took it all. And Isaiah said, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. My friend, he made intercession for the transgressors. The Gospel of Luke, the Holy Spirit is very careful to tell us in Luke 23, I think it's either 37 or 47, the Bible says, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified them. And that Holy, the Holy Spirit is very careful to tell us, then said Jesus. Then said Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He, he's pleading He's making intercession for those, my friend, who has crucified him. Did he mean it? Did he mean it? My friend, he didn't threaten them. He made intercession to the Father for them. That's all he said. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, I know there are six other sayings from the cross but I'm talking about concerning them. That's all he said. God kill them later for what they've done. God punish them for the way they've treated. Oh no, my friend. Father, forgive them. Did he mean it? Yes, sir. 
Yes, he meant it. Why, just a, just a few days later, 3,000 of them got saved. His prayer was answered. And it wasn't long after that, my friend, their number grew to near 8,000 people nearly. His prayers were answered. Not one, not one ounce of bitterness, my friend, in his plea. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He meant it. He was despised. They esteemed him not. They had nailed him to a tree. They had humiliated him. They had scourged him, plowed furrow in his back, spit in his face, mocked him as a king. Stripped his garments. They parted his raiment. Oh, the indignity and shame that my Lord endured for me. I couldn't imagine the indignity of stripping the Son of God from his garments and casting lots for his vesture. Oh, Lord, forgive me, Lord. And he did it all in silence. His calmness, his meekness under such great sufferings of indignity and his physical sufferings was greater than their rage. I tell you, his patience in suffering was greater than their unmerciful deeds. He was more willing to die than they were to put him to death. He didn't suffer because he was forced. He submitted himself voluntarily and he did it without opening his mouth. I beseech you, brethren, by the meekness and temperance, the meekness and temperance of Christ, goodness, he suffered in silence. He said, no man taketh it from me, speaking of his life, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received my father. They didn't struggle with some helpless victim and take three or four people to hold his hand to the cross while he's struggling to get free. Oh, no, my friend. He laid it down. I'm sure that soldier readied that, he readied that nail in his hand and the hammer and the Lord just stretched forth his hand. Stretched forth his hand. Voluntarily. Never opened his mouth. The reproach of the cross the severity of the punishment, all of the humiliation and indignity that he must face. Are you listening to me? It could not deter him from desiring and affecting our salvation. Turn to Psalm 22. I'll be done here in just a moment. Psalm 22. Look with me in verse 12. 22, 12. Are you there? Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross, the Savior's cross. Psalm 23, the shepherd and his staff, the crook. It's the, that's what they call the staff. Psalm 24, the psalm of the king, the Savior, the king. And psalm 22 speaks of Christ and his suffering. Look at verse 12. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round 
They gaped upon me with their mouths as a raving and a roaring lion. Now, does anybody have any idea who the strong bulls of Bashan would have been? That's, that's fallen celestial beings called devils in the Bible. The word, the word demon's not in the Bible. These are devils, fallen celestial beings. And they, they're, they're, they encircle him on the cross and they gape upon him with their mouths. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that our Lord was willing for a time to be the sport of devils to be the savior of men. Are you listening to me? And when he was in the furnace of God's wrath and forsaken by his father, he utters a sensible question in verse 1. Look at verse 1 in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's quoted in the gospel accounts. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Are y'all listening to me? Look up here. There is a depth of sufferings in the Son of God being forsaken by his Father that you and I cannot understand. You might get a, you might get a, degree, a degree of understanding of it if, if uh, let's just say... Uh, Brother Matt left his wife and all of his children and his sons and turned his back on them and never came back. Wouldn't that be pretty bad? Might get a glimpse of it. Of course, this kind of being, this kind of being forsaken is, is not in that manner. But, I mean, I don't know anything else. To, I don't know any way to try to illustrate it. I really don't. Do you? And by the way, at the end of the sentence, my God, my God, why is there forsaken me? What do we find? What do we find at the end? What do, we, what do we find? We find a question mark. Now, if it was a complaint, I'd like you to show me. It's not a complaint. It's a question. Look at this. Verse Verse 3 answers the question. Verse 3 answers the question. Look at the first phrase of that verse. What does it say? But thou art what? You see, when our Lord was made to be sin for us, and he was in the furnace of God's wrath, and his wrath was falling on his son, and he was being smitten of God and afflicted for me in my place as a substitute, when he became sin and was made to be sin for us, God turned his back. Because he's holy. The question's answered. But there was no murmuring. There's no complaint that came out of his mouth. He bore our sins upon the cross. He suffered, my friend, all of these things that I cannot begin tonight to explain the depth of these sufferings. I cannot. Who is sufficient for these things? But he endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. Hebrews 12, 3, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. When you're ready to quit, just remember him and what he endured for you when you're ready to quit. To faint. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And listen, despising the shame. The Lord did not enjoy what he endured. And if I would have been the only one uh, Paul the Apostle made it personal when he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Me. That's how personal it is. Amen.
The Jews looked for our Lord to come with a sword, delivering them from the bondage of the Roman Empire, pass through the land with slaughter and bathe his sword in blood, and establish this glorious messianic kingdom with the Jews, the head of the nations. But my friend, they did not look for the meek, humble, lowly lamb which, should, which would typify him and his character and in his suffering. Now you remember what Paul said when we began, I beseech you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Nothing is gentle as a lamb. Nothing will suffer in silence like a lamb. And the Lamb's blood shed for us, sprinkled on us, preserves our souls unto eternal life. And just as the destroying sword will not touch one of the firstborn in the houses that were in the land of Egypt that night, my friend, you and I tonight are under the protection of the Lamb of God. And His blood, my friend, has brought an eternal, eternal redemption protection and deliverance forever. Amen. 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 Did you know the glorious, all the glorious praises in heaven tonight, and I'm about done here, the glorious praises of heaven tonight is centered around the Lord and this character. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. He's presented to us in his sufferings, my friend, as a gentle, meek lamb, the gentleness of Christ. Revelation chapter 5. I've got just this right here, these few verses here, and I'll make an application of this. We'll be done. Chapter 5, come down to verse 8. When he had taken, or verse 6 I should say, and I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as, that had been, as it had been what? The lamb of God appears in heaven in Revelation chapter 5. Now this is a future event. This is yet to come, but it's still, I'm sure the Lord tonight is still celebrating this character in heaven, this character, the lamb, the meek and gentle lamb. Listen, someday we're going to gather there, and the Bible says the lamb of God is going to stand there as it had been slain. You know what that means? As it had been slain? Listen, I, I believe this with all my heart that the Lamb of God in heaven tonight still bears the marks of His passion. And they're not scars in the hands of Jesus. They're wounds. You know when the, when the, when the Jewish, when, when God turns to those Jews again, the great tribulation begins to, begins to reveal Himself to them in the great tribulation, and they ask Him, the, what's, you remember the question they ask Him? What are those wounds in thine hands? Man, listen, that's yet to come. That's, that's two millenniums beyond the cross. And he still has the wounds. They're on display in heaven. The marks of his passion. Amen. By the way, God sits on his throne. The mercy seat is his footstool. The blood of Christ is on the mercy seat. God sits in nearness to the blood. His son at his right hand bearing in his body the wounds of his passion. And this book says he now appears in the presence of God for us. He don't have to say anything. All he has to do is appear there. He appears for us. And his blood's on the mercy seat. And he sits there in his body with the wounds of his passion. When somebody comes to God through him, the Lord just points to the blood and his wounds and points. They don't have to say a word. He appears in the and I'm sure he does. I'm sorry if I spit on you. I'm sorry. I'm not sick. Amen. I got to give you this. Psalm 1835. Quickly. Psalm 1835. I, I, this, is the, this is the application of Psalm, Psalm um, 1835. I'll be done here in just a second. Psalm 18, look with me in verse 35. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up. And look at this last phrase, and thy what? Gentleness hath made me great. 
What's as gentle as a lamb? Aren't you glad, are y'all listening to me tonight? Aren't you glad that our Lord dealt with us in the character of a lamb? The meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul, Paul, he mentions it where we started tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. I beseech you by the meekness and temperance of, or meekness and gentleness of Christ. I keep saying temperance. Gentleness. Aren't you glad God was gentle with you? Amen. I look back on that fearful conviction that I endured for three months before I got saved. Brother, that was a fearful thing, Brother Matt. But I, I, I didn't know it, really what it was. The Lord was just gently drawing me to himself. Amen. That's all it was. Amen. Thank God for the gentleness of Christ. David said, thy gentleness hath made me great. God could have did God could have dealt very severely with David. Amen. David stole a man's wife. God didn't cover that up. David didn't either when he was rebuked for it. I mean, he tried to do it, but it didn't work. But when finally Nathan, conscience slumbered for a year, Nathan comes to him, tells him a parable. He gets all mad and he says, you're the thou art the man. Took a lot of courage for Nathan to rebuke the king. He was a conspirator to murder, to the murder of her husband. Joab, Joab would have been anything. He refused to put one of David's mighty loyal men in front of a battle where he would die. But David committed those two sins for which there is no blood atonement. Let me ask you a question. Find me a Levitical subscription, a little a Levitical prescription under the law, any, any mode, any system under the law of atonement, taking an animal and a, making a temporary covering for adultery and murder. Find me one. There's not one. Murder and adultery are capital crimes under the theocracy of Israel. You die. But you remember what Nathan said? He said, thou shalt not die. And here's your little theological dilemma. He said, the Lord hath put away thy sin. How did he put it away? That's my question. Now, I ain't going to fuss with him about it. Some people believe you saved by faith and works in the Old Testament. Amen. Y'all believe that? I, it's okay. I, I know a lot of people do. I have fuss about it. But how did, it, how did the Lord put away your sin without a sacrifice? And when you find that answer, you'll find the key to salvation in the Old Testament. And we'll leave that at that. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11 2. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Gentleness. Gentleness. That's what our Lord was. Gentle. Meek. Suffered in silence. Suffered all he did in silence. I'm getting there. 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Bear with me a minute. I'm farther from home than any of you. So. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Look at this. For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You know what Paul the Apostle said in that passage? Someday he's going to present the Corinthian church at the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to present them. That means, Pastor, you're going to present this church. That means all the churches I've pastored through the years and just retired from being a pastor, I'm going to have to present those churches. Now, do I want to take a bunch of bleeding, beat-up lambs? Amen? Been abused? No, sir. I mean, you take a little flock of sheep up there, and they look like you've been beating them with a rod, and they're bleeding, 
and their wool is sheared to short their their they're bleeding from their skin. I tell you, gentlemen, it's time we quit fighting with God's people. Amen. These guys that come along in my church and scold our people, you preach this book and let the chips fall where they may. But your personal applications of truth, personal to the people in my church, you're going to be in trouble if you do that. You're trespassing. That's my responsibility, not yours. Calling people out in the church. I've seen them do it. You don't know my, you don't know my people. You don't know where they're at. Amen. You're a trespasser. Amen. Right. And they'll get mad. They get mad. If you, don't, if you don't do what they want you to do, they get mad at you. They chew you out for it. Yep. You're going to present that church someday. And brother, when you present it, you better, you, be, you better make sure that you didn't abuse it. Paul told the Corinthians, I beseech you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Let me show you what Paul was, and I promise I'm done. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. Hurry, got two verses, we're done. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. First Thessalonians 2, verse 7. Look at it. Paul the Apostle is talking about his ministry among the Thessalonians. And in verse 7, what does he say? But we were, what? Gentle, Gentle among you, even as a what? A nurse. a nurse cherisheth her children. That's talking about a, a nurse made, you know, for children. But even a nurse in the medical profession. Brother Matt... You try to be gentle with people when you have to do things that hurt them. I've had nurses tell me, now, now honey, this is going to hurt. But you just, you just look right here at me. And don't you pay no attention. You look right here at me. And the doctor or the other nurse, look, I've, listen, this finger, was, this finger right here stuck like that for 20 years, just like that. Stuck that way for 20 years. Buprenorphine's contracture. And I went to a doctor. And they took a needle and they shot those cords up in that finger with a needle, with a protein to break down the collagen so they could straighten my finger. And I'm telling you, you have never had a shot until you've had one in your hand. It has more nerves. You have more nerves in your hand than any place in your body. And it was excruciating. I, that nurse petted on me and kept petting on me. And kept, I, I thought she was going to kiss me. She might have if Rose hadn't have been in there. And she, Rose was going, oh, oh, oh. She would, oh. It was, I'm telling you, folks, I wanted to scream. But she kept me from, she cared. Used to have an old dentist. Sit still, boy. I wish I could find that old man now. I'd beat him up. He was mean and he hurt. He just mean. Gentle as a nurse. I won't have you turn here. I'm just going to read it right quick. I'm done. Give me invitation. 2 Timothy 2.24 And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men after teach. Patient. Let me ask you a question. What's wrong with being a gentleman? What's wrong with being a gentleman? What's wrong with a pastor being a gentleman and a Christian being a gentleman? What's wrong with that? Amen. Our Lord was gentle. Yes, sir. I could give you so many examples. I can't. i got to close. He was gentle. How about you? How about me? Three families came to our church from visitation, from a door hanger from COVID because we're King James Bible believers. They were looking for a King James Bible leading church. They found a preacher online who preaches from the King James, but he's a heretic. His name is Stephen Anderson. And so they came in, and they were not yet fully indoctrinated with his foolishness. But I told them right off the bat, we do not believe in replacement theology. We believe the church replaced Israel temporarily until they're grafted in again. And when they're grafted in, they'll put their faith in Christ as their Savior. That's what the Bible teaches. 
And I said, that jerk is wrong. And I said, I'll tell you something else. If he talked to me the way that I have seen him talk to people on YouTube videos in his church, I would go up there and punch him in the mouth because he is a jerk. Then I would get in the altar and ask God to forgive me for being violent. But I said, he wouldn't get by with that. And I said, the reason he's that way is because he is a jerk. And if you see him, tell him I said so. He's a jerk. The little twit don't intimidate me. He ain't but about that tall and no way but 90 pounds. Amen. Amen. Treating God's people like that. Who do you think you are? I tell you there's some under-shepherds one of these days going to give an account to a gentle shepherd. It ain't going to be fun. And everything he thought he had with his little kingdom he's built, stepping on people as he goes up the ecclesiastical ladder, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble at the judgment seat of Christ. And simply because of his own rotten attitude. God help us. Do you all know what our testimony is in the world today? Do you know what our testimony is in the world today? The independent Bible-believing Baptist movement? Do you know what it is? They're mean. They're angry. And listen, there's a time to stand and stand strong. But I'm telling you, whatever we do, it is to be done with charity and compassion. And it's not compromise. It's not that at all. You want to drive people away with your personality? Does the truth God showed you, do you have to present it in such a manner that it magnifies how bold you are and how big you are and how dramatic you are in your stand? Tell you, everybody that's ever helped me through the years, their, their attitude and their disposition and the power of God on their life made me want what they had. It didn't drive me away. Let's bow our heads. That's the message. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. God helped me to be like him. Don't you want to be like the Lord Jesus? I tell you, one of the most lovely and attractive Christian graces that could ever be known is... Meekness, gentleness, humility, God help us tonight.